0: I got to thinking about who is Jesus. Uh, Rose and Phoebe and I attended a family interview at a Christian academy, attempting to get Phoebe enrolled. And the odd part about this interview, it was a Christian academy, but I didn't expect to be grilled about Jesus Christ in my life. But I'm telling you, we had this interview with the principal of the school and she wanted to know about our relationship with Jesus Christ and what was most important to us about him and when were we saved and 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 so on and about our walk of faith and it it just took me by surprise because so many things with the name Christian these days are anything but brother gum has mentioned a number of occasions uh the son of Charles Stanley, Andy Stanley, and I finally did a little digging and looking up, and he's not exaggerating, Brother Gum. He is not exaggerating. That old boy, young man, actually has lost his way. He just has, and so, uh, and he's leading others. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So, anyway, she asked about who is Jesus to us. What's the most important aspect of Jesus in our lives? And and of course, we always start with Savior. Right, I mean that's number one. If he's not your savior, he's nothing to you. Amen. Right? He's, he's got to be your savior first. And once, once you're saved, once you're His, then all kinds of doors beginning to open up. So, Jesus has fulfilled many roles in the past, and when I say the past, I'm talking about eternity past. I'm not talking about when He was born in Bethlehem. In eternity past, He has, from then, He has fulfilled many roles and has more to come. And we're going to look at some of those through the scriptures, Uh, just a few of the roles that Jesus has performed in the past and, and the present. He's the son of man, God made flesh, he's a prophet, lion of the tribe of Judah he's been called, the root of David, Lord, Lamb of God, Savior, Judge, Messiah, the Word, servant, master, rabbi, son of David, the last Adam, the good shepherd, the Passover lamb. And then Isaiah wasn't content with describing a role for Jesus Christ. He named several in one verse. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. He's the son. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah was enamored of Jesus Christ, and rightfully so as we all should be. So tonight, I thought, well, we could start a series talking about Jesus' roles in our lives, in history, in eternity, and I wanted to start with the Lamb of God, and so our primary focus tonight is going to be on the Lamb. If we get an opportunity, if I get an opportunity to expand on some of these things later, then we will. Uh, we'll talk more about them. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ's other roles as master, as a servant, who Christ was as a servant. Uh, but let's tonight, let's start in John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1, and verse 19. As I said earlier, we're going to be kind of heavy on Scripture. And it's not just to take up time, it's to understand better the role of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Why the Lamb of God? Why call the Lamb? Why? Why was he sacrificed like a lamb? Why could his bones not be broken and so on? And we'll get into all that. So John chapter 1 verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? Number one, we notice right off, That the priest, the religious leaders of the day, sent others to spy on John. Now, you can't put it any other way. That's exactly what they're doing. They're trying to catch him in something so they can charge him before the government with some crime and get rid of him. And so they wanted to know, who art thou? And in verse 20, and he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. And then said they unto him, Who art thou, that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ nor Elias, neither that prophet. John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch I am not worthy to unloose. These things were done in Bethbara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John understood Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. He knew about the coming sacrifice and he understood the connection between the Lamb of God and the Passover Lamb, and we are going to discuss some of those things very shortly. And let's skip on down for a few more verses and start again in verse 35. And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. So once again, twice, two days, he saw Jesus Christ and told those around him, Behold, the Lamb of God. Looking with me, please, if you would, another account of the same similar situation. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, and who did the baptizing? It was John, right? Those that walked around, those that walked away that day, the spies for the Pharisees and went back and said, well, that's John, he's the baptizer. He's the one that's dunking the people in the Jordan. And so Jesus was baptized by John and went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. Your blessings are just enormous, unbounding, unlimited. Uh, I I can't contain them all. Uh, It's incredible what you do for us. And likewise, what you do for the unjust just as well, the rain, the sunshine, the air, uh, all the ways that you take care of us. We thank you so much for it, but most of all, Dear God in heaven, most of all, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the one who sacrificed himself for us, the one who gave his life, the blameless one, the sinless one, who gave his only who gave his blood that we might be saved, that we might be covered, just as the Passover in Egypt. We thank you so much for the scriptures and the lessons that we're looking at tonight. I ask, dear God, that you would bless this word as it goes out, please to help carry it for him. We know in your own writings that the word will not return void we may never see the results of it but you do and please dear god use it to lead others to jesus christ as their savior for it's in his name i pray amen we're looking at jesus christ as the lamb of god and we're going to start with the passover lamb and again as i say we're going to be a little deep into some scriptures let's start with we would please first corinthians chapter five verses one through seven First Corinthians chapter five verses one through seven, and keep in mind, through all of our readings, we're talking about Jesus Christ's role as the Lamb of God. And if I do something silly, please overlook it. It's not God's doing, obviously. Uh, Brother Gumman said a number of times, and when we talk about the accounts, the historical accounts of the Bible, we have a tendency to say things like the story of Joseph or the story of Paul, and it's, they're not stories. We know they're not stories. Um, well, they are. They're accounts. They're historical accounts contained in the Scriptures. Uh, also, obviously, I've, I've made a number of mistakes. I once put, I forget who, it was Paul on the Isle of Patmos, and it wasn't Paul. It was our brother John, and so on. So it's me. The mistakes are mine. The Scripture, obviously, is the perfect Word of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Paul, writing to the churches at Corinth, is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles. That so You're even worse than the sinners out there. You're even worse than the, there's a situation among you that's even worse than the Gentiles that are around you, that one should have his father's wife. A young man, perhaps young man who knows how old, who had taken his father's wife and said, even, even the Gentiles aren't as bad as this. And Paul went on to say, and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Like you don't even, it doesn't even faze you. You don't even care. It doesn't bother you. For I verily as absent in body but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together in my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, So here is a reference in the New Testament by the Apostle Paul regarding the Passover. And you cannot discuss the Passover without discussing the Passover lamb. And so what is the Passover? What's the history of it? Where did it start and why? And for that, we're going to go back to our account of Joseph for just a few minutes. So let's go back, if you don't mind, please. Exodus chapter 12, we'll start there. And just as a little bit of background, I'll say this. Uh Moses and Aaron had been contending with Pharaoh over the fate of the Israelites in the land of Egypt there. They had become servants and slaves to the Egyptians, and it started, of course, back with Joseph, who brought them in, Abraham took care of them, he brought about 70 family members and over a period of 430 years, they grew grew to a mighty nation so that even Pharaoh feared them, and he worried about them. But they were in exile. They were sojourning. They were not where they belonged. It's not where God wanted them. But Pharaoh wasn't going to let them go. He said, what are we going to do? I mean, these are these are our servants. These are the people that are cleaning our houses. These are the people that are working our fields. These are the people that are building our idols, our statues, our monuments. So We can't let these people go. And so God delivered a number of plagues on them, and the last one is coming up. So let's look in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their father. A lamb for an house or a household. And in this time, you might have had, as we do in many countries, we don't see it so much in the U.S. except in very rural areas, but in most of the world, generations live together in a single dwelling, in one house. And so this is talking about you bring in a lamb for your household, each household, regardless of who they are there. And he says that if the household be too little for the lamb... Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goat. So, this had to be one of the best, right? This had to be a lamb that had not gotten caught up in thorns and thistles, didn't have torn flesh, didn't have messed up feet, didn't have scars from... Uh, predators trying to take it. This is a lamb that had to be without blemish. And if you think about Jesus Christ as this lamb, this is the lamb without sin. This is the lamb that knew no sin. This is the lamb that had no condemnation hanging over him. And so this is a, as a type of Jesus Christ, as we will go on further and see. In verse 5, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. Verse 6, And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. This isn't the whole congregation killing one lamb. This is the whole congregation each killing their own lamb in their household. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. So we see we're to take the blood of this lamb and put it on the doorpost and above the door. The one way inside and outside the house. You can't go in or out of the house without passing under the blood. That's the point here. This blood of, the, of this innocent lamb that was taken is to be painted on the doorpost and, the, and, and above the door so that no matter who passes through it, it's covered by the blood. Verse 8, and they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not it raw, you got to cook it, nor sodden at all with water, doesn't want it boiled, but roast with fire his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning, ye shall burn with fire, and thus ye shall eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. We'll get to it more in detail in a moment. But what's coming, the Passover of the Lord in the night, taking the firstborn out of Egypt. And so the, the blood on the doorpost protects those, those that are under the protection of the blood of the innocent, symbol of Jesus Christ. But he tells them, he says, when you eat it, have your loins, be dressed, have your staff, have your shoes on, be ready to go. Be ready to go. Are not we the same way today? Should we not at all times be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ? And I'm I'm serious about it because I have had times in my life when if I had given it much thought, I would have dreaded that moment. I was in sin. I was backslidden. I was not where God wanted me to be. And I didn't want to think about the coming of Jesus Christ. I didn't want to think about having to face him. And I was not ready to go. But Moses was telling the people here, Gird your loins. Shoes on your feet, staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses wherein ye are. Notice he says, for a token. The blood had no power in it of its own is what it symbolized. The symbolizer of the innocent, the unblemished lamb. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. And he goes on to say seven days you will eat the unleavened bread, and so on and so forth. And they... Do, of course, as we read further, we'll see that God passed over. He saw the blood. He spared the firstborn in the house of all the Israelites, took the firstborn of all the Egyptians, including the beast, including all of those uh, that, were, that they depended upon. The firstborn is the heir, especially if it's a son. The firstborn son is, is the heir. Uh, the firstborn of all the beasts. Can you imagine? You've got your flocks, your bulls, your goats, your all of it. And all of a sudden, just hundreds of them, just boom, just dead, just gone. And among the people, thousands, and probably thousands among the animals too. And so when the Lord passed over, if he did not see the blood, that's what happened. And so Pharaoh woke up in the night. He was alarmed. He saw what had happened. He understood. He saw that this plague had come upon them out of the several or the many that they had suffered so far, this was by far the worst. This was the most personal because it didn't pass his own home. didn't pass his own house. And Pharaoh told him, he said, let's look at verse 29, and it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? These folks didn't live like we do, especially if you were in the city, all those around Pharaoh, close to Pharaoh. You've got a city, and if you've seen pictures of ancient ruins, and you see how people have these this row of adobe or mud, Uh, homes, whatever they are, stone even. And you have doorway after doorway after doorway, one family after the next. And the cry rising up throughout the city, the firstborn in every home dying. The firstborn, including Pharaoh's own home. And when it happened, when he saw what had happened, look at verse 31. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get ye forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as ye have said. This is probably why they were told to be dressed and have your shoes on. Because the Lord knew, the Lord knew that Pharaoh was going to wake up and realize what had happened and send them out. And he said, also take your flocks, your herds ye have said, and be gone and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urging upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. Notice the scripture says, and the Egyptians... We're urging upon, it wasn't just Pharaoh, all of Egypt said, y'all get out of here. Y'all people, get up your stuff and go. And so as we go down through the scripture, we see where the Israelites were told to spoil the Egyptians. That didn't mean rub their feet and give them many petty. Spoil them means take what you can from them. Whatever they'll give you, whatever they'll let you have, take everything you can from them. And the Egyptians were happy to give it up. Here, I don't care, take it, just go. Take it, just go, just get out of my sight. And we go to verse 40, now the sojourning of the children of Israel who had left the city, who dwelt in Egypt, was 430 years. And if we look, we could go back to Genesis chapter 15, where the, uh, Abram, well, Abram at the time, wasn't even Abraham yet, was told that his seed would sojourn for 400 years. Uh, it's 430 years here simply because I think this period, and I could be wrong, I think the 400 years started after Joseph. Because during the time of Joseph, they had peace and plenty. Joseph was the favored of Pharaoh. Joseph ran the country for the Pharaoh. And while Joseph was alive, the Jews, the Israelites, were well cared for. And so after the death of Joseph, when that era ended is when the Pharaohs, and there were several. When the pharaohs began to take advantage of the Israelites, made them to turn them into servants, made them toil in the fields, build their monuments of the said, and so on. And now they've been told to get out, get out. And then later, Pharaoh reconsidered. He says, well, "Wait a minute. Who's going to do the work? I mean, you know. I mean, these people there." They're doing this work for us. We, we can't let these people go. But they did. And the Israelites fled. They took everything with them. They took what they could get, their, her, their herds, their flocks, the sheep, everything. And they headed out across the wilderness. And we know as we go on concerning the account of the facing the Red Sea and the murmuring that went on there, how Pharaoh repented that he had let Israel go and he chased them with his chariots and so on. And he came after him in the armies. But the point of this whole thing Is that a brand new, a brand new rite, ceremony, a brand new commandment was given to observe this Passover? Passover, the passing over of the Lord over the house of Israel, all the houses of Israel. And they were to do this from this point on, to remember that time, to bring it back to their minds that God delivered you. By the blood of that innocent lamb. You're supposed to remember this. And every year you're going to do this in this month at this time. And you're going to have the feast of the unleavened bread. You're going to do this for seven days. And we're going to have this Passover lamb. So we're going to be bringing this to you from now on and it was, or as long until we tell you to stop, which hasn't happened. And so the Lord brought them out through the Passover. And so we have the example of the lamb that was slain the innocent lamb that was slain. So now, I wonder, Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. Paul's told us that in Corinthians. We just read it. We know that Jesus Christ had to die for our sins. We understand that. We've got the scriptures, the Old and the New Testament. We've got the prophecy. We've got the fulfillment of that prophecy. But I began to wonder jesus christ started his ministry when he was about 30 went for three and a half years and i thought well at any time any of these rulers could have come and tried to take him and they hadn't and of course it's all part of god's plan we know that but why why was he slain he's the lamb he brought himself he presented himself as the lamb so why was he slain and we look in matthew chapter 23 if you will with me please Jesus Christ is in verse 1, Matthew 23, says, then spake Jesus to the multitude. Jesus Christ is preaching a message here. He's delivering a message of God to the people and to the disciples. And he says in verse 2, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. Do we know anybody like that today? I think they've got different letters after their names, but just about any politician, you pick them. But there are so many today, not just among the political class, but there's so many that say, but then do not." In verse four, "For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to the born, to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feast, and the chief seats in the synagogue, and the greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven, and he's not in Rome. One is your father, and he's not in Rome. He's in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that, sh- <clears throat> that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And what is Christ saying when he says woe to you, scribes and Pharisees? What he's saying is grief, suffering, affliction fall upon you for what you're doing. Grief, suffering, and affliction, you hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom against them, against men. You don't go in yourselves, but you hinder others that they won't go in. Verse 14, woe, grief, suffering, and affliction for you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Now understand, we go back to the very beginning. Jesus Christ is preaching in a public place. He's not in a private room with a few scribes and Pharisees. This is out in public. He is embarrassing these religious leaders of the day. He is, pro- he is proclaiming that they should have grief and suffering and affliction fall upon them because of their hypocrisy. Verse 15 Woe unto you, grief, suffering, affliction, fall upon you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Do you think they're starting to get a little angry at these words by now? Do you think maybe they're wanting to find a way to shut this man up? Verse 16, woe unto you, ye blind guides, Grief. Suffering, affliction unto you, which say, whoever shall, shall, shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Go on down with me to verse 23. Woe unto you, grief, suffering, affliction to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay the tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees! Greed, suffering, affliction unto you, hypocrites! Verse 27, for ye are like the whited sepulcher, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 29, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. In other words, Christ was saying, You're just like them. You're no better. You've killed the prophets. You stood by You've killed the prophets. You've watched the others. You, you know the history. You say, well, if we'd have been around when our fathers were alive, we wouldn't have done those things. Yeah, you would. You'd have been right in the middle of it. And we're in the process now of killing the greatest prophet of all. It hasn't come to it yet at this point in the scripture, but they're on their way to doing it. And this is a, this is a part of, I think, the timing when these scribes and Pharisees had just about all they could take. Of Jesus Christ. Who is this man? Who is he? Why are we putting up with this? Look at what he's doing to us. All the people that are turning away. It was bad enough with John, that old man out there baptizing. It was bad enough with him and his long hair and his camel coat. Bad enough with him. Look at this one. They follow him in droves. And they had to think back to the Mount of Olives. Go back in Matthew chapters 5, 6, 7. Go back, not in Mount of Olives, go back to he was with the multitude preaching. So everywhere he went, he drew a crowd, and he was taking them away from the religious service of the day, the ceremonies, the temple. They were abandoning them in order to serve Christ, to follow Him. And so they were, they were angry, and they were so angry that they could kill. And in verse 20, pardon me, verse 33, he says, "Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell?" Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Barachias, whom you slew between the temple and the altar. They had already done the same thing their fathers had done. And said, Oh, we wouldn't have done it if we'd have been alive, if it had been our, if we have been the time of our fathers. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I'm fine, thank you. I'm okay. That's all right. Thanks anyway. Thank you. So Christ preaching in a public square, people coming to him, people talking to the disciples, no doubt saying, how do I I get this? How do I turn away from this burden? Because it was a burden, the law. The scribes and Pharisees, they didn't obey it themselves. They didn't follow it. But they forced it upon the people and said, you've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to do that. And they preferred the upper rooms. They wanted to make long prayers and be heard. They didn't want to make long prayers in private on their knees before God by their bedside. They wanted to do it in the public. They wanted to be heard and seen and stand up. Look at me, how pious I am, how religious I am. And Jesus Christ says, woe, grief, suffering, affliction upon you hypocrites hypocrites you won't go in the gate and you prevent others from going and so you have to know that their anger which had already been kindled was just burning brighter and brighter with every word of the message that came out of christ's mouth and if you would please look with me at john chapter 19 john chapter 19 this is that during the crucifixion of christ This is where we see the lamb being sacrificed. The perfect lamb, the one who deserved none of it, but took it all. Verse 30 When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was a high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he saith true, that ye might believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled a bone of him shall not be broken. Amen. And again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. If you remember back to our reading in Exodus chapter 12, the lamb was not to have any bones broken. Even in the preparation, even in the cooking, in any part of it, no bone was to be broken. And this is the lamb here, the Passover lamb here, that's sacrificing himself for our sins. And it is so important that this bone not be broken. And Why is that? Why would that be true? Look in John chapter 10. Verses 17 and 18. The pastor just talked about this the other day. It was so important for Jesus Christ to have no broken bones. John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This commandment had I received of my Father. If Jesus Christ had hung there and not given himself over to this death that was coming upon him and the soldiers had found him still alive, they would have killed him by breaking his legs. And all of his work would have been destroyed. There would have been no sacrificial lamb. It had to happen that he laid it down. He gave it freely for me, for you, for all of his elect. He gave freely his life they didn't take it from him he didn't allow it and because of that the passover lamb couldn't have any broken bones as a as a symbol a type of jesus christ who gave his life freely for us and no man took it from him also the fulfillment of scripture in this we look in psalm chapter 34 the psalms 34th psalm 34th psalm look at verse 19 and 20 many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivereth him out of them all he keepeth all his bones not one of them is broken now our bodies someday will be as the body of Christ and it is certainly true that many saints have suffered broken bones been tortured, beaten beheaded, bones broken just as a method of torture throughout. So this is not a promise to the saints that they'll not suffer any broken bones. But in the writing of this psalm, the psalmist is looking and recognizing that Jesus Christ, who is giving himself, will not have one broken bone, one bone broken. We read there in John uh, regarding this where he said that no he will have no bro- not one of them is broken or not one bone will be broken and so here even though this is not necessarily a prophecy it is scripture it is written by the inspiration of god when david wrote it but just as god delivers the righteous out of their afflictions he will restore the body someday he will restore the body the day is coming when the lamb will no longer be a sheep before the slaughter That's what he's been to this point in our reading. He's no longer going to be a sheep before the slaughter. Look in Revelation chapter 5 if you would with me please. I see we're running a little late here. So we're going to have to wrap this up. Verse 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within. And on the backside sealed with seven seals. Now understand in, in, in this situation this book. It's most likely a scroll. This is not a printed book like a Gutenberg Bible or the Bible you have in your hand now. Uh, Books were written on scrolls and and sealed with a wax seal, perhaps, and this particular one had seven seals on it. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, "'Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open that book, neither to look therein.' thereon and i wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon and one of the elders saith unto me weep not behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof and behold and i beheld and lo in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb As it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth unto all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. And hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on the earth. The Lamb of God no longer sits or lays meekly beneath the hammer of the executioner. He no longer lays on the cross with his back torn open repeatedly. Just ripped apart the blood running down his body. The back of his head, his neck, shoulders buttocks his thighs ripped apart he no longer hangs on that cross like some religions today want to put him on those little icons the little idols they wear around their necks with jesus supposedly jesus hanging he doesn't hang there anymore he's not he may be now and still is the lamb that was slain but that's past it's over he has slain he saved he gave himself he sacrificed himself for us Look in verse 11, and I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. 10,000 times 10,000 is 100 million. Wrap your head around that one. 100 million voices of many angels round the throne. There's that many angels. There's more than that. There's more than that. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is this Lamb. Power, wisdom, strength, honor, and glory. In Revelation chapter 3, our last view, our last view of the Lamb in the scripture. We'll start here, Revelation chapter 3. After the Description and the properties of the seven churches John wrote about. Verse 21, he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. Jesus Christ sits with the Father on the throne in power and glory and judgment. Judgment's coming for those that don't know him. Judgment is coming. Revelation chapter 21 gives us just a little very brief peek at the new city, Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 21 And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the remainder of chapter 21 gives a description of the measurements of the new, the new Jerusalem. Looking in chapter 22, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Amen. Water of life. It's life-giving. The water that Jesus provides, he told the woman at the well, if you had asked me, I would have given you water that you would never thirst again. Verse 2, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the hearing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And he will sit with the Father on the throne forever and ever in power and glory. No more meek, mild, little lamb, so easily abducted, dragged before Pilate, dragged before Herod, forced to carry his cross till he fell, and could bear the weight of it no more, weakened by the loss of blood and the flogging received. When he laid down his life, when he gave it up for us, he did so willingly. And even though he prayed to the Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me, but he never turned back from it. He never said, Father, I don't want to do this. But if there's another way. But he did it willingly. And he knew what was coming. He's known from eternity what was coming. Amen. It's not like it just caught him by surprise. And oh no, they caught me now. No, he he knew it was coming. And he gave it willingly. He gave his life willingly. And what did he give? He gave the blood. The Passover blood. Whenever God... Sees one of us who are his children, who are saved. He sees the blood. And he passes over. Our sins are gone as far as the east is from the west. God sees them no more. He sees the blood. The blood that was shed by the innocent lamb. The lamb of God. So Jesus Christ, our sacrifice. And in the last book of the Bible and the book of Revelation. And he will sit with the father on the throne forever and ever in power and glory and that's the christ that we serve today not that innocent lamb anymore thank god for that thank god for him for his shed blood thank god for him willingly giving himself thank god for that sacrifice thank god that no man could take it from him thank god devil couldn't tempt him enough now he sits in power and glory he still bears the marks of that former life i've And those may be the only scars in heaven. I don't know. We're going to have transcendent bodies. But the time is coming when we will see him. And we will see and bear witness to the sacrifice that was made. So that God would pass over us when he sees the blood.